My name's Tony. It's good to see you guys. I have the privilege of serving here as pastor. I was a little worried, given the weather, that I and the worship team would be the only one here this morning. PG, it's one of those places, you know, it's like when the fog goes, people flock to the beach. It's awesome. All right, if you're in elementary school and you would like to hang out with some other other elementary school kids, your teachers are over here. Feel free to join them. They would love to have you and hang out with you. You can hang out with some friends, maybe meet some new friends. They'd love to have you. So I want to start this morning. Hey, Jackson, is this a little loud? Is that, are you guys hearing this a little loud? Yeah, a little loud? Yeah, that's probably a little better. Is that better? Thumbs up if that's better. All right. Okay, um, who here likes sitting out on the, sort of looking at the bay from the rocky shores? Kind of peaceful? Someone like that? Sort of pleasant? Okay. Now, who here has actually been on a boat in that bay? Uh, yeah, a couple of you. Maybe on a little trip, see some whales. So I think it was like maybe four or five months ago, maybe a little longer, my sister uh, treated my daughter and I to go out on a boat to see whales. And the thing was, when I started off on the adventure, I thought, this is going to be so fun. I'm going to see whales. And then I got like 30 minutes into it, and apparently the whales were like like north of Mendocino. So <laughs> we were like going forever. And then all of a sudden... I was no longer seeing small waves. Has anyone been in that bay when the waves are no longer small? I was in a relatively large boat going up and then down, and all I could see was the next wave coming at me, towering, right? Not only was I a little seasick, I was a little afraid, right? So when you look from the shores, oh, it's beautiful. When you get out there, it can feel a little wild, And the truth is, life can be that way, right? Life can feel like in abstract, oh, it's awesome. And then when you actually live the days, day ins and day outs of life, it can be a little bumpy. And what we're going to see today is we're going to look at a story about some disciples of Jesus that are on the water. And this is what happens. When evening came, his disciples went down to the sea. They got into a boat and started across the sea to Capernaum. It was now dark and Jesus not had not yet come to them. The sea became rough because a strong wind was blowing. And when they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the sea. And coming near the boat, they were frightened. But he said to them, It is I. Do not be afraid. Then they were glad to take him into the boat, and immediately the boat was at at the land to which they were going. On the next day, the crowd that remained on the other side of the sea Oh, that remained on the other side of the sea, saw that there had only been one boat there and that Jesus had not entered the boat with his disciples, but that his disciples had gone away alone. Other boats from Tiberias came near the place where they had eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks. So when the crowd saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they themselves got into their boats and went to Capernaum, seeking Jesus. All right, so let's look a little bit about sort of context, content, just so we can have some feel of where we are in this story. So last week we were looking at Jesus. He's feeding a crowd of what John says is 5,000 men, so likely between 10 and 15,000 people. They, he feeds them bread. 
in this place where there is no bread, right? From five loaves and two fish, he feeds the multitude so that they have 12 baskets left over. Now, what we see, though, is at the end, right, they try and make him king. They're like, oh my gosh, you're the Moses coming back. I want to enthrone you so you can initiate this new exodus, do what Moses and God did long ago for the people, people uh, the Jewish people trapped in slavery. You're going to do for us now. Jesus is like, it's not my time. So then he, like, goes and hides. Now, you know, text says he, like, walks away and retreats. And what we see now is that night is falling. Jesus hasn't come back to his disciples, and they decide to get in the boat and go home to Capernaum, which is interesting. Like, I don't know why they don't wait. It's like, was a night there so bad? Uh, But they decide, we're going to get in the boat at night by ourselves. Now, this is a map. So you have the Sea of Galilee, Capernaum. So if you look at the north, Capernaum's on the, the northwest corner. They're over on the eastern side. So they're basically cutting across that tip on the top. Does that kind of make sense? So they're on the eastern side of the Sea of Galilee, and they're cutting across. Now, what's really important to know is that you have the Phoenicians that are north there, like this seafaring people, and the Jewish people, not so much. N.T. Wright says it this way, the Jewish people were not keen on the sea. They were not so much of a seafaring race, like the ancient Phoenicians to the north, and some of their ancient stories to sea was associated with chaos evil and untamable forces within the natural world. So now imagine, it's nighttime. You know, sometimes we think, oh, these guys, they're fishermen. Yeah, like two or maybe four of them, I think, are fishermen. The other eight aren't. I could get my numbers wrong. You can correct me later. But the majority of them are not fishermen, right? The majority of them are not comfortable with the sea. The sea is associated with evil. They're wondering, is this going to be okay? Two, the storm comes. There's a few factors here that are really interesting just geologically. So the way, if we can go back to that map for a second. I'm a little, there you go. So to the east, there's actually mountains. These mountains get about 2,000 feet. Uh, but they do is they act as like a funnel. So they funnel the wind down to the Sea of Galilee. The Sea of Galilee is 600, well, six, 680 feet below sea level. So you have this funneling effect through the mountains. And then the deepest part of the Sea of Galilee, I think it's, about 200 feet. So what happens is you have this shallow body of water. The wind comes through and it just whips up that water so that storms happen quickly and they're really intense. A few factors here. People that are not all that comfortable in the water. At night, big storm, no Jesus. So they're three to four miles into this rocky boat ride And in verse 19, John tells us they were frightened. Now, he doesn't say specifically whether they're afraid of the storm, they're afraid because now they see this person walking on the water next to them, right? Probably both. Imagine you're in a storm and now there's this ghostly figure walking out in the water. It's like, I was freaked out before. Now I'm like doubly freaked out, right? And Jesus says this, verse 20 and 21, it is I. Do not be afraid. Then they were glad to take him into the boat, and immediately the boat was at the land to which they were going. Right? So he's walking on the water. He's like, hey, it's me. Don't, don't, don't worry. They're glad to see him. Right? John says they're glad to see him. What do they do? They invite him into the boat. 
And then all of a sudden they arrive at the shore, which I think is John's short way of saying, hey, the wind and the waves calmed down and they were able now to make it the rest of the way back to Capernaum. Now, one of the things that's interesting, though, is I think we can sort of read this passage and be like, okay, no big deal. Jesus shows up. He gets in the boat. Cool. I think I get it, right? But one of the things we've learned, if you've been in this journey through John so far, is that John plays with subtlety. He says, says these little things that echo back into other stories, other narratives that actually have profound meaning. Let's just take what Jesus says in verse 20. It is I. Do not be afraid. Now, on one level, it's like he's basically saying, hey guys, it's cool. It's me. You know, don't trip. But remember, we just studied the feeding of the 5,000. There's this allusion to the Exodus. Remember what happens in the Exodus. God sets his people free. And then the people are wandering in the wilderness. What does he do? He gives them manna, daily bread, so that they can survive. So there's this allusion back to the Exodus. It is I, ego a me, sounds very similar to what God says to Moses as he's in a burning bush right before he initiates the Exodus in Exodus 3.14. How does God identify himself? He says, I am that I am. Right? Jesus is sitting there walking on the water saying, it is I, which translated in Greek is I am. It is I. It can go either way. Likely he's saying something that actually has profound implications. It also echoes back, I think, to Isaiah 43.10. This is what Isaiah says. This is what God says through Isaiah. You are my witnesses, declares the Lord, and my servant whom I have chosen. Right? So now you have this connection between the servant, that you may know and believe and understand that I am he. I am before me, no God was formed, nor will there be one after me, right? I am is a way that God refers to himself. And so what Jesus says, ego on me, I am, it is I. There's these echoes going back to these profound sort of descriptions of who God is, but it gets even more uh, clear. So as we go forward in the gospel of John, there will be seven times that Jesus will say, ego on me, I am, and he'll say things like this, the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the door of the sheepfold. I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection. I am the way, the truth, and the life. He will do this seven times, all pointing to Jesus and the centrality of the Father's plan, right? To rescue, all pointing to Jesus as the Messiah. Right, affirming that he is the word made flesh. So when Jesus is walking on the water and he says, ego on me, he says, I am. These are all the echoes that John is alluding to. But he also says, do not be afraid. Now, if you're familiar with the Hebrew Bible, you're familiar with the Old Testament, you might sort of think, oh yeah, I think God has said that other places. And it's often this connection between the presence of God. So God shows up and what happens? Fear goes away. Ego ami, I am here. And then do not be afraid. Right? God is often telling his people when he is present to not be afraid. Think of the call of Abraham. 
God calls Abraham. He says, I'm going to make you a blessing to the nations. But he, they need to leave where they are, right? He needs to leave his people, go on this journey. And he says to him this, do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your very great reward. He says to Isaiah, well, through Isaiah to the people of Israel, so do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. It is I. Do not be afraid. Now, before I sort of jump into how this applies in our current context, I also want to say I think there's other Exodus illusions happening here. Right? We just had the people wanting to make, or saying he's the new Moses, he's the new prophet. They want to make him king. They want to start this new exodus, right? You have manna in the wilderness. This is all in chapter 6, we just studied. One of the things also that's happening here, most scholars think that Jesus walking on water is an allusion back to Psalm 77, which is a picture of the exodus. This is how it goes, 16 and 19. When you saw the waters, O God, when the waters saw you, they were t- afraid. Indeed, the deep trembled. Your path was through the sea, your path through the great waters, yet your footprints were unseen. And it's this idea of God is walking ahead of the Israelites, parting the waters so that they can be free in, free from the oppression of Pharaoh in Egypt. And just as God was making a way that day, John is saying, hey, God is making a way again. He's walking on the water. He is greater than all the forces around us. Now, one of the things that's interesting, though, if we move from sort of these concrete language, right, in John to the other gospel accounts. So all four of the gospels have the same progression. You go from feeding the 5,000 to Jesus walking on water. Now, if you've read all the gospels, you know they don't always follow the same order. They have different points they're trying to make. John has this, or Mark has this amazing statement that I think is really relevant for this passage today. He's talking about the same instant. This is how he records it. This is Mark 6, 50 to 52. Immediately he spoke to them and said, take courage, it is I. Do not be afraid. Then he climbed into the boat with them and the wind died down and they were completely amazed. Now this is the part I want you to pay attention to, verse 52. For they had not understood about the loaves. And their hearts were hardened. Why were they amazed? Why are they amazed that Jesus is walking on the water? Why are they amazed that the wind and the waves stop when he gets there? Why? Well, in Greek it says for, right? Because. Because they had not understood the loaves. Interesting. Right? So if we understand what happened last week and the loaves... And if the disciples had understood who Jesus was, who he's revealing himself as, maybe they wouldn't have been so frightened. Right? If they had understood that Jesus is the God of the Exodus. He is the God who has this amazing power to set his people free. He is the creator of heaven and earth who can make manna in the wilderness, who can multiply loaves in the wild. Surely then walking on water is not so big a deal. 
I mean, because of this, because they missed this link from last week, they don't totally see who Jesus is. Because of that, they're terrified when the waves get big and they're not sure where Jesus is. There's this clear connection between who Jesus is and their experience of fear. All right, so that's sort of the passage, that's the context, that's sort of what's going on. The question now is, how does it apply in our sort of present life? I think the first question I would say is more like, who is Jesus really? And particularly as you come in this room, what assumptions do you bring? We live in a culture where, you know, if you go into a room of 30 people, there's this sort of interesting deferential experience that happens that's highly subjective of like, who is Jesus to you? As if the ultimate authority on who Jesus is resides in the human person. Like, because I think this, that's who God is. Because I feel this, that's who God is. That's not what we see in John. What we see in John from the very beginning is Jesus is the Word made flesh. He is the creator of all things. Jesus is the one who heals a man at a pool so that he can walk. Jesus is the one who meets a woman at a well so she can be reconciled into community. Jesus is the one who feeds a multitude of people in their hunger. Jesus is the one who will rescue and save. And I think the question for us as we sort of live in a relative culture, we live in this place, I think the question comes back today of who is Jesus to you? Do you believe John? You know, do you believe me? Do you believe the songs we sing? Do we actually think this is true of who God is? Because one of the things I see happening often in life is when, you know, for the disciples in that first century context, it's a bumpy boat ride, you know? What is it for you? I, I don't pretend to know the burdens and the weights that you bring in this morning. Maybe it's health concerns that you personally have. Maybe it's someone you know. Maybe it's conflict at work that is just super hard for you. Maybe it's fear of being rejected. I don't know what the fears, worries, and anxieties you carry into this place this morning. But I'm pretty confident from this text that what we see is when we see Jesus for who he is, our fear decreases. The question I think for us is, you know, when life gets hard, do we focus as much on the problems? Are we able to hold on to the goodness, the glory, and the beauty of God in the midst of it? Right? In the modern world, we often ask a lot of why questions. Why does God allow this to happen? Right? That's sort of the narrative we live in. Why, God? Why? The New Testament narrative is not as much why, it's more how. How, God, do I endure this holding on to your goodness because I know hard things are going to happen? How do we hold on in the midst of difficult life circumstances to the reality and goodness of who God is? Two, one of the things that's clearly happening like in this story is that the disciples not only focus more on the waves, but they also get really concerned about their ability. And I think we do this all the time, right? It's like, I don't know if I can handle this. They're more focused on their own ability to handle the situation than the bigness of God. 
Right? They're so focused on their inability, they forgot that the creator of the universe, the Messiah coming to rescue Israel, is just in the hill over the, the way. Our role is to hold on to who Jesus is, declared in the scripture, so that we can navigate life circumstances without getting just drowned in our fear and anxiety, which translates, I think, into the second way this sort of speaks into our life. Do not be afraid. All right, when we go through the Old and New Testaments, what's so clear is that when we are present to God, and when we actually see him for who he is, fear becomes more distant. God calls Abraham, do not be afraid, Abraham. I am your shield, your very great reward. Jesus comes up to them in a boat and says, hey, it's me. I am, I am. Do not be afraid. And I guess my question to you is, what are you afraid of today? What keeps you up at night? One of the things I've learned over this last year uh, is actually a lot about fear and trust. So, you know, like 16 months ago or so, my family and I left a fairly comfortable situation up in Washington to come down here. All right, so coming down here, we were doing like a church plant thing here. We had been invited, you know, by faithful folks in this body to do something new, but we had no idea how it would go. We had no idea. Jeannie and I weren't sure if this would be like a three-month thing and it would just go down in flames. You know, relocating our family, leaving all of our friends. I can't tell you how many mornings I would sort of have this experience of anxiety of like, is anyone going to come today? You know, particularly the experience of like sunny days, I just prayed for fog. (laughs) And it was constantly this word back to me of, Tony, like, this isn't about you. Like, I have called you. Can you just trust me? Right? It's been this beautiful thing watching Jesus show up. Watching God do just awesome stuff. I was reading the Psalms this weekend, and Psalm 13 says, I trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. I will sing the Lord's praise for he has been good to me. And there's this beauty in it. It's like looking back to the faithfulness of God so that we can be present and trusting with God now. I don't know about you, but one of the things that happens with me when I get sort of afraid is I start focusing so much on the future. Do you do this? Right? You imagine every possible scenario where things could go wrong and you obsess about the future. And what does it do? It crowds out God in the present. Right? God wants to be with us today. First, uh, John wrote a letter and it's called 1 John. 1 John 4.18 says this. There is... Oh, <laughs> praise it. I love it. There you go. All right. Verse 18. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear. And I think what they're trying, what John is trying to say is, hey, when God, who is love, is with you, 
There is no place for fear. But the problem is so much of what we do is we live in this imaginary future where we're terrified of what might go wrong so that we crowd out God in the present. We're no longer able to just sit in his beauty and his presence and say, thank you. It is I. Do not be afraid. I wish I could say that it was a lesson that I had learned over the last year, but I found myself in the last few weeks just sort of full of anxiety and fear again. And I, had, I was like just kind of overwhelmed and run, out, run down. And I took some time on Friday. And my experience is sometimes it takes like a few hours for me if I get revved up enough to like slow down. And so I just took like three hours. I went for this like long, slow walk at Point Lobos. And I just had the, I was reading through the Psalms as I went. And I found myself on this one cliff uh, on the southern side of Point Lobos. And I was reading this one Psalm, Psalm 17.8. And I found myself reading this and then I just started weeping. God says, or the psalmist says this, keep me as the apple of your eye. Hide me in the shadow of your wings. And what I realized in that moment is that so much of my fear is a fear of being abandoned by God because maybe he doesn't love me. Maybe I'm not really as precious to him, right? But in that moment, it was like, oh, God, maybe you do love me to such an extent that you would hide me, that I don't need to be afraid. I think a lot of our fear is not just about whether we'll get that promotion, but it's a deeper thing of like, are we really cherished in God's sight? Because when we are, when we feel that, when we know that, we know that God will never forsake or abandon us. The last way I think I just want to speak into how this translates into our context, I just sort of say playfully as uh, soft bread and hard hearts. Because what we see, right, is Jesus makes this bread. He multiplies it so that they're fed, but their hard hearts make it so they're not able to see who Jesus is when they go to the next night. But it doesn't translate. And I think if we're honest, at least if I'm honest, it's easy to go to church read the Bible, maybe have someone pray for us, listen to an amazing sermon, um, and leave and forget what we just heard. We hear, we sing these songs about the greatness of God, and then we leave and we are worried about tomorrow. We sing songs about God meeting the disciples, right? In their moment of need, bringing them calm and getting them to Capernaum, right? He gets them where they need to go. And yet we hear that story, we leave this place and we wonder, God, are you going to be there for me? And I guess I wonder, for you, you know, if you're honest with yourself today, how is your heart? towards Jesus. Are you allowing these things in? Are you more like, you know, Teflon? 
Is your heart soft towards Jesus, towards his word spoken in this place? Are you allowing it in? Is God at work in your life, but you're dismissing it? Or do you kind of feel like the, the, the people who experience the bread in the wilderness and then Jesus bails? They don't get to see him on the water. And by the end, right, I think it's verse 24, it says, So when the crowd saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they themselves got into the boats and went to Capernaum seeking Jesus. I think for some of us, we feel like, why did they get all the fun? Why did they get to see him walking on water? I just feel like Jesus bailed and now I'm having to find him. And I guess my encouragement to you, if that is you, is take this group of people as your model. They just keep seeking him. They keep going, right? They go to Capernaum where Jesus ends up being and they find him again. And as we enter worship, I just want to invite the worship team up. The truth is, right, like, as you come in this morning, I have no idea all the burdens that you carry. I know some of you are carrying huge, huge burdens that if they could be measured in weight, they would just crack the pews you are sitting on. Some of you come in joyful today and you're like, I'm rocking it, you know, cool. I don't pretend to know what you carry into this room, but I can tell you this. I am a witness of seeing God show up in amazing ways. God showing up in the presence of Jesus, drawing near and making so fear is gone and hope is born. I'm a witness of these things. And I know that if we two shared stories for the next hour, you would hear stories of God's faithfulness, ways that he has been good to people in this room. So I invite you this morning as we enter worship, to seek the presence of Jesus. Soften your heart. I believe that God does want to show up into the busyness, into those moments of feeling overwhelmed and reveal himself, not just as, you know, someone you sing about that lived long ago, but the living God who is at work in the world right now. And he wants to be at work in your life. Even if your life is tough, even if your life is awesome. He wants to bring you life and hope and reveal himself to you. And that's why we sing songs. That's why we turn to worship so that God can speak to us. Let's pray. God, you are good. God, even when life is tough. God, enable us to see you clearly this morning that we would know you that we would see you, that they would, we would experience you. Spirit, that we would know in the depth of our being that you will be for us, that you are the one who rescues. You are the one who saves. Cast out the fear we have as you come near, Jesus. Draw near to us. Soften our hearts that we may see you for all of who you are. 